this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath july 16 is world snake day now when you have a day dedicated to something it typically denotes a call to care for or draw attention to the welfare of the entity to which the day is dedicated that's how it is with say fathers day mothers day and so on but with world snake day things could get a little complicated as the first thing that comes to mind when you mention snakes is the fear of snake bites and the fact that india is the snake bite capital of the world so we tend to forget that snakes are also part of wildlife and discussions about the importance of conserving snake species tend to take a back seat it is estimated that out of the 78000 to 1 lakh snake bites that occur every year globally the vast majority about 64000 plus happen in india the snake bite is a public health issue in india at the same time it is a marker of high human snake conflict as well and in this episode of the in focus podcast on the eve of world snake day we take a closer look at the human snake conflict what has india been doing to bring down snake bite fatalities what role snakes play in india's biodiversity and why they need to be protected as well we have with us sumant bindu madhav director of the wildlife department at humane society international india sumant thank you so much for joining us hi sampat thank you so much for uh, having me on and thank you so much for discussing such an important topic right great to have you uh, for this podcast to start with sumant what exactly is the objective behind observing a world snake day in a country like india where snakes kill more than 60000 people every year i think that's pretty much the reason sampat uh, to be honest if you looking look at the numbers that you've provided us uh, if you break it down there's about 6 to 7 people who die every hour from snake bite so invariably everybody in india and most other southeast asian countries they are petrified of snakes and rightfully so so i think world snake day is one of those few days where you can take cognizance of what snakes can do but also appreciate what they do for the ecosystem um, let's face it none of these snakes are born on earth to kill human beings then there wouldn't be 1.2 billion people uh, so it's a day where you can pause and say what do snakes do for us as an ecosystem uh, and why are they important why is it important for for us to have them around uh, how do they play a role in our urban and rural setting and how beneficial they are to agricultural fields and farmers it's a day to basically pause and say despite all of this that happens there's also uh, ecological importance of having snakes that's the that's the purpose of world snake day right i mean it's a, it's a laudable uh, purpose to have no doubt about it so coming back to the core issue around snakes in india the the human snake conflict like what are the factors behind the widespread uh, prevalence of snake bites and related fatalities what is the reason behind this what are the reasons behind this that's a great question sampath and honestly there's multiple factors and multiple reasons for why the why there's so much prevalence of human snake conflict and snake bite uh, one in undoubtedly is the population human population of uh, in india itself aside from it it's also a tropical country and there's a incredible amount of diversity in snake species we have over 300 species of snakes uh, found all across the country with almost 18 of them being being medically significant which means they can cause either death or morbidity the factors that drive these high numbers of snake bite is 
in an urban setting, let's consider a city like say Bangalore or Bombay or Delhi or any of these urban cities, our waste management practices are so poor that we invariably attract so many, so many rodents all around us. Uh, and with rodents come snakes. Uh, there are some commensal species like the spectacle cobra, the Russell's vipers that are so adaptable and so comfortable living around humans. That is one cause, one key factor for uh, snake bites in urban India. In rural India, as you know, most of India is still an agrarian landscape and there's no better place than an agricultural field for a snake to find food. India loses one third of its crop to rodents and they're all in agricultural fields. And so are snakes, which is why the high prevalence of snake bites, especially in rural India. Right. Now, you spoke about 300 different uh, species of snakes uh, uh, in the context of, uh, you know, the, the amount of uh, diversity of snakes we have here. But coming to the snake bite issue, I mean, I mean, one keeps hearing that there are these four big species which are which account for the bulk of snake uh, bite fatalities. Which are these four species uh, that keep that they keep referring to? So for the longest time, we've been talking about these big four. Uh, and it, it's actually, it's about time we stop. But answering your question, the big four are the spectacle cobra, the Russell's viper, the saw-scaled viper, and the common Indian crate. These are called the big four uh, species because they cause the highest number of bites and deaths. And they're also the most commonly found across most states in India. Right. Why did you say we have to stop speaking about uh, this aspect? It's uh, it's funny because I mean when we start talking about just these four big four uh, as as the snakes that that are uh, something to be addressed, we are ignoring another fourteen different species that can cause death and morbidity. And let, think about a country like India in northeastern states, none of the big four are found there at all, and yet there are snake bites. By constantly saying big four, big four, we are keeping the focus on just these four species. Uh, and hence, antivenom is also developed just for bites against these four species of snakes. We're almost entirely ignoring all the other species. Uh, it's become a it's become more brand value than anything. It was a great place to start the conversation many years ago to say big four. But now as science has evolved, it's about time we stop saying that and start looking at the broader range of uh, snake species that do cause uh, human mortality and morbidity. Right. Now, this is, I mean, right now it's the monsoon, monsoon season and this is also the time when uh, uh, sort of traditionally the number of snake bite fatalities uh, spike, so to speak. Is that in any way related to the biological life cycle of snakes? Why is it that the monsoon season we have more snake bites happening? To be honest, I think uh, we're also still trying to wrap our heads around snake behavior. It's something that's still very, very nascent in India in terms of understanding their behavior. Uh, we are still trying to figure out why they bite. What we know for sure is whenever there's a shift in season, like say, let's say summer flows into monsoon, monsoon flows into winter, we know there's a high amount of snake activity when seasons change. Uh, why that is, we are not entirely sure, certain why during monsoons or the onset of monsoon, there's an increased activity in snakes. But yes, uh, historically, there has been an increased activity in snakes during the onset of monsoon. The highest amount of, number of bites actually occur during harvest season. 97% uh, of snake bite victims in India are farmers, and most of them, uh, an overwhelming percentage of them, get bitten around harvest season because they're working with their bare hands and feet on ground. Uh, so in monsoon, while we see a lot more snakes out and about, it's actually the harvest season where we see the highest number of bites occurring. 
Right. Now, uh, the World Health Organization has actually classified snake bite as a disease. It's, it's called it's called it a neglected tropical disease, NTD. So if we want to lower India's burden of snake bite deaths, is it like more feasible as a strategy to try and prevent snake bites? Or is that like uh, unfeasible and should we focus on ensuring easy availability of antivenoms and ventilators and all this paraphernalia to treat uh, snake bites? Yeah, this could take a, we could talk about this for days, but uh, uh, what we know for sure is that there are few big hurdles when it comes to snake bite treatment and care. Uh, there is a big, big problem in the fact that, like I said, we only make antivenom for four species in India. Uh, and these four species, the venom is produced only in one part of Tamil Nadu by the Irula Cooperative in, in just on the outskirts of Chennai. The problem with this is, all the venom that's used to make anti-venom comes only from that one region. And we've known for a long time now that venom, even within the same species of snake, varies by region. For instance, a cobra in Karnataka might have completely different venom from cobra in Maharashtra. So if somebody's getting bitten, uh, let's say in Punjab, for instance, if they're using the anti-venom that's made from snakes, from the venom of snakes in South India, the efficacy is very minimal. So that's one big hurdle to clear. Then there's several other hurdles like this. For instance, snake bite is a medical legal case, which means as soon as the victim is taken to a hospital, doctors have to notify the police and then there's an investigation done. There's a whole gambit of bureaucracy and red tapism, which is why a lot of doctors don't prefer treating snake bite cases at all. The minute there's a case presented to them, they would rather just refer them to a bigger hospital than take on the hurdle of then saying, uh, say, go to court and testify and all of those things. There's a lot more challenges. Anti-venom quality is a huge, huge issue. Uh, what used to take five or six vials in the 1950s to neutralize venom now takes 25 or 30 vials. And the quality of anti-venom has dropped drastically over time. Because of all of these factors, considering all of these challenges, prevention would be the best thing. Absolute best thing. Because most Indian, uh, most snake bite victims in India don't even go to a hospital. Almost 80-85% of uh, people who die from snake bite die outside of a healthcare infrastructure. Uh, people have no faith in medical infrastructure for a variety of reasons, which is why most people go to quack healers, they go to faith healers, they go to several other religious institutions seeking treatment, and then it's too late for them by the time they actually get anti-venom which they need. Uh, so in considering all of those, prevention is way, way, way better than cure, especially in the case of snake bite. Um, and there's a variety of things you could do for prevention, right? S something as simple as wearing footwear that go all the way up to your knee or way above your ankle and can actually stop the fangs of a snake from entering is a great place to begin. Having said that, there are several nuances to figure out if farmers are comfortable wearing these and working in the field. There's plenty of things to figure out, but all of our effort needs to be, or at least a good chunk of our effort needs to be focused on preventing snake bite. That's where the future is going to be. Right. I have a couple of questions on this prevention strategy. We'll come to that in a bit. But before that, I wanted to sort of ask you to clarify a little bit about something I mentioned earlier. You said snake bites, doctors are reluctant to treat them because it's a medical legal case. I mean, if there's a dog bite or a cheetah bite, it's not a medical legal case. Why is a snake bite a medical legal case? Is there any other wildlife which has the same kind of a medical legal thing going on when they bite human beings? It's not actually. And uh, and the reason snake bite is a medical legal case is actually quite archaic. Uh, this is something that the 
that that was left with us as an as a legacy by the British when they ruled us. Uh, there have been instances of snakes being used as weapons for murder. Somebody plants a snake in somebody's house and they get the snake to bite somebody else. There are rare instances of this happening here and there, which is why any snake bite case uh, is usually looked at as a medical legal case. And that throws a lot of challenges in, in, in course of treatment. I can give you an example. In our, in our study site, there was a lady who was bitten by a snake. Uh, she suffered for over 16 months. And the family spent 14 lakh rupees on just treatment and ultimately she passed away. Uh, Karnataka government gives a excretion of 2 lakh rupees in case of death from snake bite. And the family had to run around between the police and the hospital for over a year with absolutely no progress. And they finally just gave up. Uh, so adding these layers of complexities just goes against uh, people going to hospitals in the first place. Has there ever been a single conviction of, of, of for using a snake to kill someone, using a snake as a weapon, uh, the whole medical legal thing? In the most recent history, there was a case in Kerala uh, where where, a, where there was a man who purchased a snake to uh, to have his wife bitten by it. Uh, he's, the, his case is still ongoing. There hasn't been conviction yet, uh, but that's the most recent one that comes to mind. There was another case in Maharashtra a few years ago of a 47-year-old man who was bitten by a snake and the family alleged foul play. Uh, that again, the investigations came to a standstill and didn't go anywhere. Right. Unfortunately, the snakes cannot testify in court. So anyway, so there you go. Uh, coming back to the prevention uh, aspect. Now, you said if farmers wear footwear, uh, it'll protect their ankles and legs from being bitten by snakes. Uh, but you also mentioned earlier that snakes are very comfortable around human beings in urban as well as rural settings. And uh, they also do enter homes, right? I mean, you, you uh, somewhere or the other, all of us have seen images of a snake hanging from the ceiling fan or something. So so then you, your ankle boots are not going to help you. So what else is there to the prevention strategy? Is it only about protecting yourself or is there something else one can do so that snakes don't come into your home and things like that? Yeah, there's plenty actually, and uh, I used to I used to actively rescue snakes for 15, 16 years in Bangalore. Uh, and the one of the things that we constantly told people is that if you have a snake in your house, that's an indicator that your surroundings are not clean. Snakes don't come into houses because they like homes. They don't like vitrified tiles. They don't like granite. They don't come into houses looking for these. A snake will only enter a house if there's food inside or if there's a place to hide and it feels like it's in a secure setting. So let's say somebody has a window open, somebody leaves a door open. Uh, and there are the reality is that there are snakes all around us, right? Be it in urban or rural setting. It's about time we have open, honest conversations around this. Uh, just like how we talk to our children about looking both ways before we cross a road. It's very justified to talk to uh, kids also and say there are snakes around us. We need to be safe. We need to keep our surroundings clean. We need to close our doors and windows when no one's looking. And we need to be watchful if you're storing things outside our house to keep it off the ground, for, in for instance. Or if you're sleeping in the outdoors on the floor, the simplest thing that you could do to prevent a snake from cuddling up next to you is to have a mosquito net hanging and tucked under your mattress. That'll keep a snake out. These are very small measures, but something that has to be done. The belief now is that snakes shouldn't be in cities. That is never going to work. Snakes are always going to be here. The conversation needs to be, how do we coexist with them with minimal damage on both sides? Right. I think we've dwelt enough on the conflict part of the whole uh, debate. 
uh, about protecting humans from snake bites. Now, coming to the other side, what role do snakes play in the wildlife ecosystem in our country, and why do we need to protect them? If why do we know why should we kill them all and make sure humans are safe? Yeah, I mean that that's a very valid question, and it's something that we've asked ourselves several times. You said. What if there are just no snakes, then you wouldn't have to worry about this. Well, what would also happen is the rodent population would absolutely burst. It's already bursting at the seams. Like I said, India loses one third of its agricultural produced rodents. Anytime you start digging into a rodent burrow around agricultural fields, you'll find plenty of grain inside. Now, the only predator that can take rodents where they are, are snakes. There's plenty of conversation and arguments saying that owls kill rodents and cats kill rodents. For any of these other animals to actually play prey on rodents, the rodents need to come out of their burrow, which mostly happens at night. Snakes are the only creatures that can actually go into these burrows, underground burrows, and absolutely devour rodents. And rodents have not just, they don't just destroy agricultural fields, the number of diseases they carry, they act as vectors for so many diseases, everything from plague to plenty of uh, leptospirosis and so many other diseases. Uh, snakes are the one species that can play a very crucial role in controlling the rodent population. If we don't, I mean, for example, if you if you put a male and a female rat in a room with food and water for 365 days, by the 366th day, there'll be about 2000 rodents. You don't want that happening in the absence of snakes. The more rodents you have around you, the more snakes you are going to attract. So if at some point a community like an apartment decides that they don't want snakes around them and they decide to get rid of them all, the rodent population within that community is going to burgeon up so much that it's going to end up inviting more snakes than they had before. And that's going to happen to us as well if we decide to not have snakes around us. Right. One key function they perform in the biodiversity uh, setting context is to get rid of uh, the rodent uh, population which can be a real threat uh, for human uh, because human settlements and you know for uh, all kinds of reasons so you are saying snakes are a natural form of pest control in agricultural fields absolutely and they're the best in fact uh, snakes especially non-venomous snakes are farmers best friend uh, there's no pesticide that can do the job that a snake does because most rodents and most of the pests will eventually get will eventually start adapting to whatever is being sprayed on as medicines for plants. Uh, small snakes will eat locusts. Bigger snakes will eat rodents. Uh, they'll also eat toads. They're, they're an excellent pest control. And farmers would love to have non-venomous snakes around their field and venomous ones if they have a bit more education on how to deal with them. So you said there are 300 species of snakes in India. So the so majority of them, how many of them are venomous? How many are non-venomous? Out of the 300 species, there's a little over 50 that are venomous uh, and all the others are harmless. And when we say non-venomous, they're not truly non-venomous. Uh, they all do have some form of toxin in their mouth. It's just that they don't affect us badly. There are 50 snakes that are considered venomous and can do some degree of damage. Out of those 50, there are 18 that are medically significant, which means they can cause mortality or uh, severe morbidity. Right. So here's a question for you. So you mentioned that snakes are important to keep the rodent population in check. So why don't we just have the non-venomous 250 species for that purpose and get rid of the 50 venomous snakes? Why do we need the venomous snakes at all? That's a very good question. And it's actually something that we've been, uh, we've honestly been asking ourselves in terms of, uh, in terms of evolutionary venomics. We have said, if, if there are 
species of snakes that are venomous and non-venomous eating the same prey? Why did some species evolve to have venom when some didn't? Uh, so to be honest, I mean, that's, that's something that we don't have uh, absolute answers to. Uh, but venom is actually also very, very crucial in uh, in plenty of other things. Snake venom is used in in several drugs. Uh, there's experimental treat, uh, uh, experiments being done on using of snake venom for treating cancer and AIDS and whatnot. There are several properties, but to be brutally, brutally honest, uh, I couldn't tell you today why why some snakes have venom and some don't when they're eating all the same stuff. Right. No, I was actually only half serious when I asked that question. <laughs> no, I understand. I mean, the basic answer to that question would be like every living being has a right to life, and uh, we don't, we shouldn't really go about exterminating of course. Any yeah. species. And right? I, to be honest, yeah. I don't think it's going yeah. to work either. I mean, given the population of of snakes, which nobody knows how many there are, uh, it's we'll never have a day where there will not be snakes around us. Right. And are there any uh, species among this 300 that you refer to which are on the endangered list uh, like other wildlife species are? Again, the, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of lack of data around snakes itself in terms of population. We know that, for instance, there are some snakes that are being newly described now from the northeast of India, like the Salazar's pit viper, for instance, is one of the new species of snakes that's been described. So we don't know enough about their population status yet to call them endangered because uh, nobody does a census of snakes like how they would do for a tiger or elephant or leopards. Uh, what we do know is that uh, there are some snakes that are very sensitive to environmental change. For example, king cobras are very, very sensitive to uh, climate change. King cobras are found mostly in the Western Ghats of India and in areas of Northeast and some, some islands around India as well. But they're very sensitive to climate change. Uh, if they don't get the right amount of humidity and rainfall and temperature, we know that they can't, their population is going to dip down. So in that sense, there we can we know that our species that are sensitive. Whether there are species that are endangered is something that uh, there's very a lot of deficient data on that front. Right, we don't have enough data on the wildlife population of snakes in India. One final question, Suman, before we uh, wrap up. So coming back to the original uh, issue of human snake uh, coexistence, harmonious coexistence, do we have any uh, kind of national strategy or a policy in place to ensure uh, that there is this kind of harmonious coexistence between humans and snakes, especially given that snake bite is a public health issue. And if we have a strategy in place, it could actually help to uh, mitigate this burden of uh, disease uh, that we have right now. Yeah, uh, so ICMR has actually been talking about this for many years now. When Dr. Samya Swaminathan, who was then with WHO, when she was with ICMR, she started uh, talking about this, talking about snake bite as something of national importance. Uh, and ICMR did develop guidelines and draft policies on how states can help mitigate uh, human snake conflict. Most recently, the National Center for Disease Control, NCDC, has gotten together with WHO uh, and they're talking to states about developing the roadmaps and uh, pathways to come to a z to at least half the number of snake bite deaths by 2030. Having said that, uh, snake bite is not something that can be dealt with at a national level, honestly. Uh, even within a state, there's so much variation in, in species and in regions. It needs to, there needs to be more power given to states uh, and further to districts to develop their own roadmaps for how to achieve zero snake bite deaths in, say, 20 years from now.
Right. You mentioned earlier that there is a huge uh, high prevalence of snake bites in India because India is a tropical country. I mean, there are other countries which are tropical countries. They also have uh, snakes and I'm sure snakes which bite and which have venom. So how is it that they don't have the same kind of disease burden that India does? How are they handling it? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Like countries like, say, Papua New Guinea uh, have, have made great strides in snake bite treatment. Uh, there's been a massive amount of political will to solve the problem of snake bite uh, in, in countries like Papua New Guinea, which are tropical countries with a heavy burden of snake bite as well. Uh, there actually their anti-venom is incredibly advanced, uh, where it doesn't matter what snake you're getting bitten by, in what circumstance, you could just do with a couple of do couple of vials of anti-venom and it's completely curable. Uh, people have absolute faith in the medical ecosystem. Uh, because they know they can get to a hospital and walk out completely okay. In India, the issue has always been that there's been lack of political will to change things on ground. It's the technology exists today globally to make a robust anti-venom for India that would work 100% of the time. It needs political will. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a poor person's disease. There's only farmers and day-wage laborer laborers who are getting bitten by snakes. Until there's political will, very little can actually change. Right. I mean, there is, as you said, technology to make available for possible snake white uh, victims in India an antivenom with 100% efficacy. And there is just a lack of political will because, as you said, it affects the poorer sections of the population. Hopefully, uh, the World Snake Day will help to raise awareness and not just awareness also, but mobilize some kind of political consensus to get some momentum going so that India's snake bite problem goes down in the years to come. Thank you so much, Suman, for joining us. Thank you to you and to Human Society International for this podcast. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Sampa. Thank you for having me. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for in Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.